0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. whatever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I-
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Charlie Smith is off this week. It is his birthday. He is out having dinner with his girlfriend, boldly assuming he'll be getting laid after that. That leaves us here on the podcast. So the Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Milwaukee Brewers, first place Milwaukee Brewers, I might add, winning the series Uh, Two games to one. They are still currently in last place. One game above 500, but seven and a half games out from the still white-hot Tampa Bay Rays. I'll also add it's the third straight series win, and all three teams were first place going into the series. So... Red Sox playing over their heads and uh, doing some damage. But joining me tonight from Houston, Texas, from is it Ponte Verde, Florida? I probably botched it, Cody. <laughs>
2: Oh, it's all good. It's Pana Vedra. Uh, Um Yeah, it's it's a place that gets messed up, messed up often, man. It's 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 all a water under the bridge. How are you doing tonight?
1: Not too bad. Charlie has it written down, so I don't I don't have his script. That's why I played it. But uh, yeah, so all right, good to have you, Cody. Uh, also joining us tonight, uh, coming off the bench, kind of taking my spot. Well, I take Charlie's spot. Is Nick Face? From our YouTube team, Nick.
0: How are you? We're getting the rounds tonight, Terry. We were very busy, you and I, with all this action we got going on. In a way, kind of like Charlie. So that was a hell of an introduction that he got <laughs> from that too. <laughs> I can't wait
1: till he hears it. Uh, so, Cody, where can they find you on Twitter?
2: They can find me at the Cody Paulson. That's Paulson with an E. Come interact with me. Come yell at me. Let's uh, let's have a conversation. All
0: right, Nick, your Twitter handle. For those that haven't blocked me yet, uh, my Twitter handle is face the Facts 15
1: I think the Bastards account is probably the most blocked account of everyone's. That's at Bastards. Did Bastard. you see
0: my tweet that I sent to you? Did you see my tweet I fired back at you? I don't know. What was it? Jog my memory. The tweet, the tweet was, let's be honest here, the one that has the most blocks around this neck of the woods is Red Sox Stats.
1: They do. Yeah. I am blocked on every account I have (laughs) from them and I don't even know why. So yeah. So find the bastards account at bastards underscore Boston. You can find my personal account at Cushman MLB. So uh, before we get rolling, I just want to say, you know, everybody is probably immersed in Boston playoffs right now. You got the Bruins playing. Did they win today, by the way?
2: Yeah, we had a Boston sweep across the board today. It's
1: a good day to be in Beantown. I'm going to explain why I wasn't watching it. So yeah, Bruins uh, winning their series. Celtics, I guess, must be up 3-1 to now. Uh, But I was watching the Terry Francona documentary on uh, the MLB Network. It's one of their MLB present shows. They do a number of those uh, every year, and I've never seen a bad one. Uh, It covers recent things, stuff going back to the 70s, 80s, but the one on Francona tonight, 90 minutes, kind of cool to see that. And Theo Epstein was, you know, interviewed and, um, you know, talks about parts of Francona's career. So it was interesting to see it from his perspective because he was ultimately the one that had to do the dirty deed of, of firing him, uh, you know, back after that infamous 2011 collapse so uh, it seems like water under the bridge completely with them and it has been for quite some time but still if you get a chance to see it if you can DVR it or something like that it's well worth the 90 minutes Uh, so just a quick temperature check I mean we're in last place but we're grinding and we're winning games we're stealing games and I guess the overall theme is we're not really blowing games. So Nick, let's lead you off. Where where are you at with this team in general at the moment?
0: Oh, we did our YouTube show a little bit earlier here. I I was telling you kind of off air a little bit that I'm kind of right at that hit or miss kind of level right now, because I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was, say like I was a week ago. And the reason for that is this past week, you beat a pretty good Minnesota twins team. Granted, they're, Offense and everything isn't so great. And it, uh, some kind of a surpriser team with their record of a fast start so far, but you can't really discount this Milwaukee team that they played. Uh, they have some formidable guys that are there, you know, a decent bullpen. They absolutely torturized Matt Bush today (laughs) from getting, uh, that, that wonderful eighth inning of, uh, success there. But in, in my eyes, I think this week is now the most important because now you have something to prove. You just swept, you just got swept by uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, in that series that was pretty recent. The going thing that st- the Red Sox struggled with last season was beating AL East teams. And this is a, a very important series here for number one, Chris Sale, who will it out here. But they have something to prove here. And I think the confidence is at a good level right now. And I think the team is starting to click a little bit with offense and pitchers getting established. So um, I'm feeling better, but I'm not at the point of saying that this is a playoff team yet.
1: Alex Cora said earlier in his postgame, he said, you know, we're a team that's going to play every inning and and fight back and, um, you know, win a lot of games that way. And he goes, he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, that might not be sustainable, but maybe it might be, you know, that type of a vibe. So, Cody, where where are you at?
2: Much like Nick, you know, it's it's easier to become more optimistic, right? You know, we obviously have the scar tissue from last year. And, you know, whenever we turn it over to the bullpen, I'm sure a lot of us were flinching because we're like, oh, man, how are we going to – you know, lose this game or, you know, find a way to fumble away in spectacular fashion, but it really doesn't seem to be that way with this kind of team, right? You know, last year, if we were down a couple of runs, you could pretty much, you know, move it from the TV to the iPad or to the, you know, to your phone and put something else on because, you know, you just need to check back in and see the final score and and get your daily dose of disappointment. This team is a bunch of grinders and a bunch of battlers, you know, even in a microcosm of, of a game, right? If we go out and, the other team puts up, you know, a couple of runs in the beginning innings. We're coming back. We're scoring runs. We're making it interesting late, right? Or, you know, you could look at it at a, at a bigger picture, right? We went down to Tampa. Great team. Tough team. Played at their place, you know, in front of all 17 of their fans and got our doors blown off. And what did we do? We came back against a first-place Angels team. Took two out of three. we Or three out of four, sorry. and Played a a hot start Minnesota team, which has been, you know, playing with confidence, playing pretty good baseball, took two out of three, and and did the same thing to to Milwaukee. And you can say, you know, oh, you know, we might have missed some of Minnesota's better pitchers, or, you know, we didn't get, you know, the, the hardest lineups or the hardest matchups. We pretty much went through the teeth of, of what the Brewers had to offer, and and we came out on top and really had an opportunity to to win all three games, which, you know, if you were to tell us at the beginning of that series, hey, we're taking two out of three, Against Milwaukee, I think all of us take it in in a heartbeat, regardless of how it looks. And you know, we're starting to put together more complete games. We're starting to put together easier victories. And so, you know, this team is is an identity that we haven't seen in in the past few years. And it's it's definitely very refreshing, and it's making the the game more enjoyable because now you're not thinking a two run deficit feels like a ten run deficit. A two run deficit could be you know, back to back home runs like Turner and today, which was you know obviously the start of a great inning, but uh Terry, what are your thoughts on on where the team is currently?
1: Yeah, I actually picked the Brewers to sweep the Red Sox. I thought it was set up much like the Tampa matchup, and the one thing the Red Sox are good at is you know seizing a, a big opportunity, and they did that in Game One. The Brewers, I think, had a, a lead, and then the Red Sox had a big inning and. Uh, you know, took the lead and held it for the rest of the game and, uh, you know, got the series started off good. And then today, uh, Matt Bush just didn't have it. And uh, that led to a nine run inning in which the Brewers were, um, you know, they were up a run, I believe. So, um, you know, it very easily could have been a sweep. But the Red Sox did find a couple of opportunities in there and they capitalized 100 percent. So, um You know, we weren't getting that a lot last season. We're getting it now. I'm still skeptical on the sustainability of it, but we got a tough series against Baltimore. Uh, I don't think the pitching matchups are great for us, but then again, I didn't think they were great, uh, you know, with Milwaukee. Then we've got Cleveland, who's always going to be a pain. And then after that, you have Toronto. So huge, uh, you know, three teams here right in a row. And I I think... If somehow you know we beat, we have a winning record by the end of those three teams, uh, you know maybe even my confidence will rise a little bit. So we'll see. We're gonna want you to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm honest. I'm fair. I'm fair, but I don't just start chugging the punch immediately, <laughs> like you know you start seeing on social media, but. All right, let's go ahead. We're going to get into studs and duds per the usual. The Red Sox won the series, so we will start on the studs side of it. So, Cody, you're in the leadoff spot. Who's your stud for the series?
2: I think pretty easily it's got to be uh, Masataka Yoshida. Um, You know, he had a great series even before the heroics today. I think he raised his batting average some 42 points, you know, on base percentage was able to pick up. And I think he raised his slugging percentage almost 100 points. You know, he had, I think, two doubles and and two home runs in the series alone. Um, But just beyond the box score, like you were mentioning, Terry, we're starting to take advantage of those opportunities. Right. In the bottom of the seventh inning, you know, it was a tie game and we fumbled away that that tie game the ability to you know keep it close and and have an opportunity in the eighth you know uh or lets a guy on box him over to second bunt to third wild pitch and now we're down right they they're not really putting the ball in play and and we're giving up runs and it it very much felt like that game could have gotten away from us there you know turner comes up to bat honorable mention you know ties up the game for us and and then Massa puts one in into the bullpen and then another one into the upper deck for a grand slam to really give us that breathing room break it open and make sure hey you know curtains, this game is over. Um, sure, you know, when he came over originally, you know, he had a, a pretty good start. We were like, oh man, this guy's as advertised, everybody's getting excited, but he kind of hit the skids for a little bit, right? Uh major league baseball was able to kind of adjust to, you know, some of the weak spots in in his hitting program, you know, really expose that upper um and outside. With with velocity, but it seems like he's now making that adjustment. He's getting his feet underneath him, and he's he's starting to you know kind of find his groove. And he looks a little bit more comfortable at the plate. Um, and that's really what we want to see at this point, right? Like you're going to have slumps. Nobody's going to come in and and be able to hit 400 for an entire season or 280, whatever it is. You're going to go high. You're you're going to go hot. You're going to go cold. And it's how do you respond to that? And so not only is he starting to produce on the field. But he's responding in the way that I think is sustainable and is, you know, confidence building to see. So he's got to be my stud for for this series.
1: Go ahead, Nick. Thoughts on Yoshida?
0: I think one of the major reasons why we're starting to see him start to turn and click is health. I think that he was playing through the Tampa series and some of these others more banged up than usual, and I don't think the Red Sox had another choice with uh, Adam Duvall going down either. With putting a DL stint together or an IL stint together or removing him from a lineup that so desperately was lacking that needed him. Um, I do think the pressure of first coming over here, getting acclimated to U S baseball and everything is a struggle. You know, people are going to struggle for a couple weeks to kind of get their bearings together and get, get moving. Hideki Matsui, when he was a Yankee in 2003, he struggled for the first month. So I wasn't over concerned with it. The big thing for me was how is this guy going to adjust, you know, to the fastball and how is he going to look at these pitchers, seeing them a couple times through the lineup and and adjust on the fly with it. This is a big game for him. It's one game, which is great. What is this going to translate into for this Baltimore series? I am optimistic on it. I want to see what they're going to do with it. And I still am trying to figure out, what spot in the lineup he's going to be most comfortable at. Is he the cleanup? Is he the five? Is he going to be the leadoff? Is he going to, where's he going to slot? So I think they're still trying to feel that out a little bit and kind of understand more about who Masataka Yoshida is as a player to help benefit the Boston Red Sox.
1: You started to see some signs that he was, Starting to head in the right direction in the twin series because he was driving the ball in the air and and most of them were caught, you know, by the outfielders, but they they were in the air. They weren't on the ground. I mean, he was painfully just rolling them to, you know, the middle infielders and getting thrown out and his strikeouts were up a little bit, too, uh, compared to, you know, his career numbers in Japan. He's typically not a high strikeout guy. Uh, very good, you know, discipline, uh, you know, in the batter's box. And so then you come into this series and he had some hard hits. And I think with with Matt Bush, I, I mean, they, he was getting tattooed by everybody. So I, I wasn't shocked that, you know, he managed to hit two home runs off him. But he wasn't swinging that good of a bat, you know, a week or two ago. So it's good to see. I'm not sure. I I mean, he had a pretty good series against the Baltimore Orioles. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he carries it through there, but depending on the, the pitchers we're going to be facing in Cleveland, um, you know, they're gonna, they're probably going to attack him, you know, in certain ways they're going to try to exploit, you know, his weaknesses in the strike zone. And, you know, of course, Toronto will have a good pitching staff after that. So, I think as the team goes, he will go. Um, You know, if the Red Sox are playing well, it's, he's probably going to be a big part of it. So we'll see what his numbers are, you know, a week or so from now. But, you know, you see a couple of guys in our lineup right now. Yu Chang may be waking up. All his hits seem to be home runs though. (laughs) It's feast or famine. Tristan Casas, it feels like he's in a coma. You know, he's just never going to wake up. It feels like hopefully he does, but, Um, but unlike them, Yoshida is on the right track. So it's good to see, uh, go ahead, Nick, your stud for this, uh,
0: series. I'm actually given that wild card option here. And I really have enjoyed the resurgence of Jaron Duran back to the Boston Red Sox. One of the things that's very eye-opening to me, just as a fan and observing from everything with the change and the new rules and everything, is the different players at impacts. And I think this whole thing with the pitch clock and defense changing and everything is going to play to Jaron Durant's strength. You're seeing him run the bases effectively. You're seeing an adjustment with how he's hitting uh, with his hitting approach now. He's got a different stance and everything up there. He looks confident at the plate. He's not chasing pitches that are 50,000 miles out of the strike zone anymore. The patience, the maturity, I think were the big things the Red Sox were trying their best to work with him on, especially down in Worcester with getting to a place where he's mentally prepared and mentally ready to help the big club. And I'm excited to see him back here because – I think no one's going to really ever forget that whole incident that happened last year at Fenway, when he kind of just watched the ball and left it from there. But if that's got to be your rock bottom, that's definitely, you can only go up from there. So the game definitely needs him and the Red Sox need his style of play. And if he can slot in there and center or someplace in the outfield and be a table setter for this team, we're going to be in for a good ride. So Duran, Again, hitting 391 so far. He's been up for uh, just looking at his stats. He's been up for uh, since April 17th. He's had a hit in every single game except for yesterday's game against Milwaukee. Had two hits today. Uh, I, I am optimistic on him to see what he can carry over here into this Baltimore series.
2: Cody, thoughts on Duran? If you look at some of the best Red Sox teams in years past, right, those championship contender teams, there's always a dynamic table setter to the lineup, whether it be an Ellsbury or a Damon-type player. And that's exactly what I think Duran can be, right? He's got that kind of game-breaking speed that when he's on the base pass, he's an absolute terror, and he's taking the attention away from from the pitcher and, in turn, giving better at-bats for for the guys that are in the batter's box. And, I mean, you see it every time he's on base. He's impacting the game, whether, you know, he's – Scoring from second on a sack fly last year, or, you know, being able to run the bases smarter, taking advantage of the three pitch over to essentially a free stolen base. Nick mentioned it. And it's a great, great point. He just looks so much more confident and so much more free and so much more athletic when he's playing the game. Now you could definitely tell that he was in his own head. He was in a bad place last year because he was pressing, right? He was trying too hard to prove that he was worthy to be on the big, the big league club. And the Red Sox have notoriously given players multiple chances to come back into the lineup and to contribute. We've seen it time and again with this with this front office and this organization. And for the time being, and you know, we'll all collectively knock on wood or karma cap or whatever you want to call it. I am glad to see Duran get these extra opportunities because it really does look like he's taking full advantage of this one and making it have to be a difficult conversation to figure out who goes back down when the team is fully healthy. He's hitting the ball the opposite way, you know, he's not making any egregious blunders in the outfield he's not taking you know routes through lull to get to a fly ball like all of his game just looks tighter and it looks more streamlined and efficient and it's just wonderful to see because we have all of these players across baseball this isn't even a red Sox part you know that do well in the minors and they finally get their call up to the majors and then you know they kind of fizzle out and you never hear from him again and then it's you know you get a documentary on that guy five years later about you know how his life kind of kind of unraveled and you never want to see that for a player, let alone one in your own organization. So it was just great to be able to see him get, get the light of day. And, you know, hopefully we're having a similar conversation later on in the season about Tristan Casas, because it's just, it's just a good, a good story to see.
1: Anytime you can get one of your homegrown prospects up and they're going to be playing for $750,000 roughly, and you can get production out of a player that cheap. It's huge. Uh, and it's been a roller coaster, as you guys have pointed out, for Duran. Here's my thing I'm not all the way there on him. I'm not like he's arrived. Uh, you know, a couple of, just a couple of, I, I don't want to call them red flags, but. You know, in 10 at-bats, he did strike out five times this series. That number has to come down a little bit. He only drew one walk this series. So to me, once you start seeing the strikeouts go down, the walks go up, then my confidence will go up. But not having Adam Duvall and uh, not getting a ton of production out of our bench outfielders, it's refreshing and you'll, you'll take what you can get. You'll absolutely take what you can get. And we've already seen his impact on the bases. you know, taking extra bases, you know, especially if it's on the way home, especially if home plate is the extra base. Um, He can help you win in a lot of ways. So, We'll see. I mean, if De- uh, if uh, excuse me, Duvall doesn't go down with his injury, he he does not get the opportunity he's getting right now because he has to be an everyday player. He's not a bench guy. That's not that's not what his skill set plays to because he's never going to be a defensive replacement. And how effective will he be off the bench without getting regular at bats? So this is probably it for him. Like. 2023 is it. You're not taking Yoshida's bat out of the lineup. You're certainly not taking Alex Verdugo's bat out of the lineup. So hopefully, you know, hopefully he'll uh you know continue uh the run that he's on. So my stud for the series, I was torn between two. And I probably should have taken the other one. We'll get to him in honorable mentions, but I'm going with Nick Pavetta. We were on a good run. We had a good homestand in which we won five out of seven games. We're going to Milwaukee, and I figured it would be a tough series, and every game was close. Well, I guess game three wasn't after the eighth inning, but up until that point, every game was close, and it was important to get the series started off right. And Nick Pavetta put on a very good opening performance in game one. He went five and two thirds innings. He did get slapped with seven hits, but you know, nothing ridiculous. Three earned runs only walked one compared to three in his previous start. So he was commanding the ball uh, pretty good. Struck out seven. I will take that from Nick Pavetta every time. Prime Chris sale might hate that pitch line. But from Nick Pavetta, a guy who should be your number four or five guy in the rotation, I'll take that. And I picked the Brewers to win game one because Pavetta wasn't coming off of a good start. And he usually isn't fast when it comes to making adjustments. He, he can go on a three or four game slide in which he's struggling and his mechanics aren't great and he's in his own head. And it was really important for him to, you know, come off of uh, a performance like that. So loved what I saw. We won't see him until the Cleveland series. And for some reason, I I feel like that probably um, isn't going to be an overpowering team for him. So uh, he's set up pretty nicely here. But Nick, go ahead. Thoughts on Pavetta?
0: I've always liked Nick Pavetta uh, as a pitcher. I like the way that he competes every time he's out there. There's some guys that are in the league that just don't give a crap. They just don't. Nick Pavetta, I feel, every time he takes the ball, the dude at least has a pulse. He wants to compete. He wants to try hard. He wants to give it his all. And this is a guy that from a competitive nature, if he finds that consistency and he can get to a place where he can throw a quality game and a quality outing like he did from Friday, as your four or five guy, that's outstanding. And that's exactly what the Red Sox need. If you have to count on Nick Pavetta to be a one, two, or three, I feel like you're gonna be there's going to be problems because there's going to be bumps along the road with a Nick Pavetta. It's just that he is what he is. But when you can have somebody of that nature take that back end of your rotation, it lengthens your, it lengthens your arms out. And then we've also seen, like in postseason sometimes, he can go into the bullpen, and they didn't have any problem in that Tampa series in 2021 getting him into those uh, innings of, I think it was extra innings, as a matter of fact, to help win that game. I'll always remember that because he was lights out in that, in that uh, playoff run when they were uh, facing Tampa from then. So the guy's got it. It's just a matter of consistency, getting him to a place where he can be successful and keeping him as that four or five right on that path. Go ahead, Cody.
2: I mean, there's not really much else to add here. Pavetta, I think, is is tailor made to be that four or five rotation guy, right? And if, like Nick said, if you can have him in that slot, your team's looking really good. You know, last year, unfortunately, we relied on him to be a top line of the rotation kind of guy, and you know, he'll have that those starts at times, right? He's had great starts this year. I think he had a one hitter last year. Like he he can do that, but that's not what you're going to be expecting out of him. For me, I looked at this stat line from Monday, and I was like, oh another Pavetta start for me, whatever. Like that just seems to be like his type of, type of line, right. A decent amount of hits, a decent amount of strikeouts, a couple of earned run here and there, right. You know, he's just kind of a guy that that kind of moves the rotation along. He's going to keep you in games. He's going to battle. He's going to have emotions. And it was, you know, got to give credit where credit's due. Cause he's been consistent this year too. Right. And, and, a in a season where we, you know, win two out of three, get swept, you know, go and sweep a team, get swept, and then continue to play well, it's it's nice to kind of have just a, a, a steady guy that goes out there. You know what to expect. You know that you're going to be in the ball game. Um, I mean, it's just I've, – I've always been a fan of Pavetta as well, a lot for the same reasons that Nick mentioned, right? You know, just a, a guy that shows that he cares, right? You know, a, a pitching version of Verdugo, if you will. And, you know, we're all pretty Verdugo positive uh, in this group chat, I believe, as well.
1: Uh, we'll get into some honorable mentions here. Uh, the obvious one, I nearly took him as my stud. Justin Turner was 5 for 10 on the series, uh, drew three walks, had a hit in every game, but he had the tying home run today in the eighth inning that um, that kind of got that rally started. He tied the game, and then the rest of the uh, lineup around him uh, just continued to you know, crushed the ball. In fact, uh, Yoshida was hit his first of the two home runs that inning immediately after Turner. So Turner ties it very next at bat. Yoshida puts the Red Sox up. It was a score fest after that. And of course the grand slam later on, uh, in the inning. Uh, and I probably should have mentioned it. Um, there's only five Red Sox players in history that have ever hit two home runs in the same inning. Um, uh, two of them are actually, I know, I know of three of them. Uh, so David Ortiz, obviously no shocker there. Nomar Garcia Parra did it in 2002. And then in 1990, Ellis Burks did it. Uh, and he did some time in the, uh, Nesson booth. I think it was last season kind of filling in here and there. Um, and then I forget the name of the other player, but it was in 1928 was when, uh, it happened, uh, other than the, the three I mentioned. So Yoshida, uh, in elite company, but again, Justin Turner did get that, uh, rally started and he's only hit, I think that's, let's see, is only his, uh, second home run. Yeah. He's only got two home runs and been kind of quiet, uh, out of that. Uh, you know, three hole. In fact, he's only got eight runs batted in, but he is hitting at a a 286 clip uh, and a 390 OBP. So there just hasn't been a lot of people doing uh, a lot of damage uh, behind him. And I think in front of him, you know, Devers has done a ton of damage, uh, you know, so (laughs) he doesn't always have guys on base because of Devers. Devers, eight home runs, 21 driven in he is on pace for a monster season as well um kind of quiet in this series but you guys have any other honorable mentions you want to bring up
2: i'd like to just throw kenley jansen's name in the chat oh, you know yeah. it's it's a uh, a trend that we've you know repeated i think in a lot of podcasts it's just so nice that it, in a close game you know we're just going to beat this dead horse we don't have to worry about it like we used to right a clear defined closer role just needs to be shouted out credit to him five saves and five opportunities and most of them are are pretty easy thank you for being on the team credit to bloom for signing him whatever keep it moving
1: nick any other you honorable about the major
0: the major point on on kenley jensen did you guys hear that he was supposed to be the emergent one of the choices for emergency catcher today
1: I did not hear that. Ser-
0: seriously, seriously, he was the he was going to be the emergency catcher if needed because McGuire was had had the ball off of his uh, foul ball off of his wrist. So Kenley Jensen and Tristan Casas were the backup emergency catcher options today.
1: Yeah, Casas would have been number one though. Just to be clear, yeah. Um, I for some reason I thought Arroyo. I was stunned
0: when I heard this news.
1: Yeah. I thought Arroyo might have done some catching uh, early, like in his minor league career, but I could be wrong on that. His name wasn't brought up, so I probably am wrong. But all right, let's go ahead and
0: switch over to the dud side of it. Oh, before can can I can can I say my other honorable mention just real quick? Yeah, I was just going to say to the other thing that was awesome from that eighth inning to see, and he's starting to click and he's starting to grow on me is Connor Wong. That that hit that he had that scored two of those runs right after the home run uh, for that uh, Yoshida hit the first one. That's something that was that really also kind of triggered the response that that inning had. So to see that production st- for him starting to get comfortable at the plate and and getting uh, more playing time and everything, it's great to see.
1: Yeah, that was a, a clutch performance, and he kind of made up for it because it was a pass ball or, or one that Correct.
0: he just didn't field
1: that got the brewers in front. So, uh, you know, you had Turner and Yoshida do what they did. And then, like you said, Wong hit a two run, uh, single, I think it was to really put the, the game out of reach at that point. They were up by four yep. after his hit. So yeah, good observation there. Uh, so not many to get into on the duds, yep. uh, side of it. Uh, but there is one notable one and Cody's going to lead us off with that one. So who is it, Cody,
2: yeah, I mean, the duds, I, I've i been very fortunate doing studs and duds on Sundays because it seems like we're coming off series wins and, and it's the same couple of guys that we got to talk about, right? So this time we're going to switch it up a little bit. For me, it's Garrett Whitlock, right? The, the team was firing on a lot of cylinders this weekend, good performances, top to bottom in the lineup, pretty good pitching performances uh, from the rotation, albeit from from Whitlock, right? Um I think the the glaring aspect of what this team is kind of battling right now is who's going to be the five guys in the starting rotation and everybody's kind of vying or jockeying for a spot and I don't think Whitlocks doing himself any favors um and you know in the back of our our minds we're always thinking about that 2021 season when he was just lights out in the pen he was absolutely set it and forget it you know a clean inning two to three strikeouts no worries right so we look at today's stat line it was four innings, eight hits, five runs, all earned, one strikeout, right? You know, he threw about two-thirds of his pitches for strikes, and it just wasn't a good outing. We were pretty much, you know, chasing the Brewers from from the beginning, right, down a three spot early in the game. We were able to get it tied, and then, you know, he gives up a couple of more runs in the fifth, and it ended up being, you know, a lead that was insurmountable, um he just hasn't looked like the same guy you know he did have that one uh great outing where i think he went seven one earned run but he just hasn't been the same dominant performance uh that we were you know kind of grown to grown to love in and kind of rubbing our yankee fans uh faces right why did they let him leave on the Rule five draft and why why like our bullpen we got to give credit where credit's due. It has been a lot better than I think any of us could have dreamed of. Uh, this has been a, a refreshing kind of theme to the season that the bullpen has, has been a lot stronger and we could solidify that to be one of the top bullpens in, in the league. If, if we move Whitlock back to a defined role, maybe it's that eighth inning uh, spot. So Martin comes back or, you know, move Martin to the seventh inning or whatever it ends up being, um, you know, there's guys that make way more money than me that can, Can figure that out, but it seems like a no-brainer to to us on the outside that he can add that much more value to our team if we're use him in in short spurts versus wasting him once every five days for what has become a trend of of mediocre to poor outings.
1: Nick, thoughts on Whitlock?
0: I've been a believer in him staying in the bullpen since day one. I don't like him in the rotation. It doesn't matter, like he can go out and throw a gem like he did against the twins this last time that he was through the back of my mind. I'm saying to myself, are we going to get the same thing for this series when Milwaukee comes and then the Orioles and then the Indians and everything, you need him more in the bullpen in my eyes than you do as a starting pitcher. And they want to play like the flip flop game with Tanner Hulk now saying that he's going to go back to the bullpen. I like Hulk better as a starting pitcher. I just think he has a better makeup. I think he is poised to be a starting pitcher. Whitlock is much more of a diamond in the dust kind of guy, where why mess with success? Why mess with it? He did so well in that 2021 role in that bullpen where they needed him to be that anchor and that stabilizer. I think you're asking way too much of Garrett Whitlock to change everything for getting into a rotation. And I just have Daniel Bard deja vu from this. I just do. I have Daniel Bard deja vu. I don't want to see another mental case here and God bless him it's his soul, you know, Daniel Bard from everything, because I know anxiety and everything that you get. It's 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 horrible. It's horrible when you have to go through this but I don't want to see the same thing happen here to a guy that has so much talent with a team that needs him so badly right where he should be in, in that bullpen.
1: The big concern for me with Whitlock and and I think the audience knows where I stand. I, you know, exactly aligned with Nick Whitlock to the bullpen, how, you know, stays in the rotation. I think their mental makeups, you know, fit those two areas respectively. But the the one scary stat for me on his pitching line is the one strikeout. Because with the Angels, he was getting tons of whiffs, tons of swings and misses. And then he just didn't have it yesterday in the Brewers series. He just didn't look good. He didn't look comfortable. He only lasted four innings. I think he left with the bases loaded. Um, It just was not a good outing and just slapped with eight hits as well. They're going to ride it out. They're going to give him every possible chance to succeed as a starting pitcher. I, I think Alex Cora said at some point in spring training that at some point we have to develop a starter because... You don't know what Cutter Crawford is. I mean, he's thriving in the long relief role right now, but I I think there is still a decent number of people that think he's still possibly going to be a starter. Uh, Josh Winkowski, phenomenal out of the bullpen, usually pitching two innings at a time. In fact, uh, as of yesterday, had pitched more relief innings uh, in the majors in 2023 than any other pitcher, and Winkowski has been phenomenal. At that, but still another guy who didn't didn't pan out as a starter. You know, maybe they try it again later on, but for now he's a reliever. So Whitlock could possibly be the next guy that just couldn't couldn't hack it as a starter. And I think the organization is a little frustrated with that. Why why does every promising pitcher get put in the bullpen? You know, and so I think they're going to ride it out some more, and I hope he doesn't end up on Daniel Bard Avenue. Um, you know, and what we mean by that, if you're a really young Red Sox fan, is um, Bard was probably one of the bigger head cases in Red Sox history. Was a lights yeah. out, one of the best setup men I've ever seen. Was throwing a hundred Papelbon. It
0: was Papelbon and Daniel Bard. Yeah. It was- that, Lights out
1: for two or three years. That was the best one two punch in the eighth and ninth innings. And then they made him a starter, and he was out of baseball for close to a decade. And he actually had to take a, a leave of absence this year for anxiety issues and uh, has recently come back. I haven't followed up to see if he's uh, had an appearance or two. So hopefully, his um, Daniel Bard's. Um, you know, issues are behind him for now, and you know he. I wonder
0: if him and Bobby Valentine are friends.
1: <laughs> well, I don't think he's gonna be mad at Valentine. Valentine went along with the plan. To he tried, yeah, yeah, he
0: tried with to go with the plan. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: but um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Daniel Bard guy. I mean, everybody loves a good comeback story. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. But Same with here. with Whitlock, it's just. We're no more comfortable than we were uh you know a month ago on what his status truly is and what it should be it's you know it's game by game from him, so I wonder if it's gonna be a home thing versus a on the road thing that's something to I guess pay attention to uh he, he against the angels he was he was filthy but that was at Fenway so. We will see. Nick, who is your dud for the series?
0: This guy doesn't even deserve a roster spot in my eyes. I have no idea why he's still here. I think the bat boy probably has more value than him right now, and that's Ramal Tapia. I call him Tilapia because I don't like the fish, so I want to throw him out. (laughs) I just don't think that this guy deserves the spot, especially now with Duran now up with the club and producing and everything, it just doesn't make sense for them to continue to ride this spot here. I truthfully would rather see Bobby Doback probably come up and take uh, take Tapia's spot or bring up another arm to help the bullpen or something. But they have clearly made their mind, and they want to make sure that Duran is going to get the playing time here, and there's really no point from putting Tapia out there. I just think he's an automatic out. They don't need – that style of player. I think it also straps them because he's just left-handed. They have no other right-hand pop that they can use outside of ref Snyder. And I just think that this is kind of a wasted roster
2: spot right now. And I just don't just get out of my life.
1: (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, Cody.
2: Yeah, I mean, this guy murdered us last year, right? And I, I remember just sitting there watching this guy, like, why are we still pitching to him? Just just walk him. It'll be less damage if we walk him. And I think, you know, he was on the bookends of that unfortunate Jaron Duran uh, play, which, you know, is ironic that they are now linked uh, kind of to the similar spot on on this year's roster. Um, I remember being very excited when we signed him because, you know, he was kind of a dynamic player. I thought he was an insurance policy for for Durant. you know, because we always knew that, Yeah, sure, he might have started down in AAA, but he wasn't going to stay there. And if he didn't produce, then we could use that roster spot of those at-bats for Tapia. And, you know, it might be a a daily at-bats kind of thing. We're always seemingly using him in a spot start or a pinch hitting or a pinch running situation. Um, But Nick mentioned it, right? You know, he's just – it's tough to find a a reason to keep him in the lineup or a reason to keep him on the team. And, you know, when the conversation starts at that point – and he's not giving you anything to talk about to keep him on the team, then what are we doing here, right? Um, it's a real bummer. I, I, I liked him, you know, just kind of as as a juice kind of guy. You know, a little bit of speed, a little bit of pop, could play defense if he needed it. You know, there was definitely a spot for him to fill uh, to begin the season, but but Durant has pretty much closed the book on that conversation, and, you know, this is an embarrassment of riches for us in this in this area, and, and Tapio just hasn't produced, so it's – Let's move on to the next one, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you guys basically encapsulated it. I think Jaron Duran simply stole his thunder and came up, started cranking, and there hasn't really been a need to try to get Tapia into a rhythm. And um, Ref Snyder had some moments as well where he was somewhat productive, and that was another reason to not put Tapia in, and not to mention Ref Snyder's a righty. Red Sox, uh, you know the front office doesn't seem to be concerned about that as long as it's going to be a righty starter. They don't seem to care how many lefties are in the lineup. If it's a righty lineup, then I, I mean it's terrible because you've got you've got Yu Chang definitely in there. You've got Christian Arroyo definitely in there, and and uh, possibly you know Russ Snyder. It's just a weak lineup, but. Um, but Tapia, again, I, I drifted a little there. Tapia is just, just, uh, just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time on the wrong end of some unfortunate circumstances. He could go back to Toronto and, and light it up, or end up anywhere and probably be a, a pretty productive outfielder. He's a, he's a very good defender, and um, but. Unfortunately for him, you know, it's just hard. And it makes you wonder, how long is he going to be on this team? Like, I if Duran continues this pace, they're going to make a move. They're going to DFA him or, or, or maybe perhaps bring up another infielder. I don't know what they're going to do, but... but. That's just too bad because I I was kind of excited. I was really hoping Tapia would make the roster, but all right. Uh, We'll get to my uh, dud. We won't spend a ton of time on him. Caleb Ort just couldn't locate anything today. Uh, He tried a couple of sliders, but was reliant on fastballs. Couldn't even locate that. Uh, Faced six batters. I think the bases might have been loaded. I can't remember. Um but just not a great outing from him and I was kind of stunned when Cora didn't even get the bullpen warming like that inning was just going to he was going to ride it out with Ort for better or worse and I think we were down by a run at that point as well uh it was the top half of the the next inning where we did all the damage so um yeah and he walked three guys it was it was a bad outing so not much else to really say. Any thoughts, Nick?
0: I just think that when you know Martin comes back, and hopefully they figure out Whitlock going into uh, the, the bullpen. I know it's not going to come anytime soon, but hopefully he's just one of those kind of long reliever type things. I think the problem is you have Caleb Ort, Ryan Brazier, that that kind of style right now with those two. They're like a die. It's like, all right. You want Brazier today? Or you want Ort today? It's. I don't have any trust. I don't have any trust from those two guys. I was shocked. Core didn't have some sort of an insurance policy behind him there, just just to keep things, you know, in a relatively safe mode for the game where it was at. We got lucky. We got lucky.
1: Just a quick. Uh, since you mentioned him, uh, Chris Martin. Is expected to resume throwing next week, so that tells me it's probably still going to be at least three weeks for him to be out. He'll he'll play catch. They'll throw some side sessions, and then perhaps uh, I I think relievers typically will only have one rehab game uh, before they come back, unlike a starter where they might need two or three. But but he's definitely missed right now in those uh, later innings. Uh, some of the other guys, I mean, Schreiber's done he had a rough game, I think, in the Twin Series, but overall been pretty good. And uh, but it sucks having to resort to guys like Blyer, Brazier, Ort. I feel like they're they've been pitching quite a bit lately. Um, Cody, any more thoughts?
2: No, uh, you know, Ort's been uh, well we'll just say I won't, I don't want to call him like unserviceable, but he hasn't really like helped the team and it's starting to unravel in new ways and in spectacular fashions, right? It's not only is he not able to locate the ball or he's getting hit all over the yard, he's now making mental errors. And, you know, I think, you know, we, like Nick mentioned, we got lucky that we got out of the running, only down one run today. It could have, you know, been an ugly, crooked number. And I feel like it's only a matter of time. And and Cora's kind of playing with a ticking time bomb here. And, you know, understandably, Cora's got to deal with bullpen management. He can't overstress the arms that are, you know, already getting a lot of innings. I think you said Winkowski had pitched the most uh, relief innings in baseball already. So, you know, there's clearly a certain level of taxing that's going on with the bullpen. Um, but Orts just, he just hasn't been usable and hasn't been a, a a positive arm out of the pen. And whenever he comes up, we're all holding our breaths. We're all wondering, you know, like how is this gonna go down in flames? Cause we were well on our way to squandering an early lead in this game, to turning it over to the bullpen and essentially giving one away on purpose by by turning it over to him, which is just never a place you wanna be as, as a fan or as an organization.
1: Okay, uh, let me just go down. I'll just list off any dishonorables. Uh, There's not really, I mean, nobody was bad this series. It was really a a very well-balanced series for the team. Casas, 0 for 6, did draw three walks. His OBP is like 150, 160 points above his batting average. Like, he's able to read the ball. He's just not able to put the bat on it. You know, it's just crazy right now. He's uh, definitely malfunctioning uh, pretty bad there. Uh, Let's see. No one else. I mean, Devers, two for 12. That's kind of a a chilly series for him. But he did have a home run, though, in game two. Drove in a run today. I think that was on a sack fly. But, yeah. All right. Let's just go ahead and uh, move on to the series preview here. Uh, That is a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles. In Baltimore, and uh, let me just add, um, there are some weird start times here. Uh, 6.35 p.m. on Monday and Tuesday, so make your dinner a little bit early. And then on Wednesday, unfortunately for the blue-collar crowd, uh, that will be a 1.05 p.m. start. So um, if you're fortunate enough to see the game, good for you. Uh, But getting into Monday's matchup, Chris Sale versus Dean Kramer, Cody, go ahead, lead us off. Who do you like in that matchup?
2: I'm riding high on on the Chris Sale train. You know, I thought he put together a, a great vintage outing against uh, Minnesota. It looked like he was a, in full command of his arsenal of pitches. Um, you know, Kramer hasn't had a, a great start to his his season as well. Um, Baltimore's overperforming as well. You know, you mentioned the the Red Sox were playing over their heads. Um, didn't know if it was sustainable. I think the same thing could be said. About the Orioles, sure, they've got a nice, a nice young core, but I don't think anybody thought that they, they'd be sitting in second place in the AL East 20 games into the season. Um, and so for, for that reason alone, you know, um, that and, and the success that we've already had against them this season, i like the Red Sox to take game one.
1: Go ahead, Nick.
0: I, I have Chris Sale also banking off of that great start that he had last time out against the Twins. I have him building momentum and I said in the YouTube show that we did a little bit earlier here, Chris Sale, what you want to see when he comes out here is location. His location was Chris Sale-esque, the Chris Sale we've known for many years the last time that he pitched. And that's what you want to see. You want to see telling signs will be there in that first inning. You'll know pretty much if Sale's on or if he's off, if he's locating some of his pitches and everything. So – I I had the Red Sox win in this first game here. I think Sale gives you at least six innings. I think the Red Sox riding off their high on how they just played in the last two series and everything, even against the Angels and everything, feeling good about themselves going into Baltimore. I think they take care of business. Sale with the W.
1: I do not share either of your optimism. Uh, I think this Baltimore lineup has a very good idea on how Chris Sale is going to come at them, and I I think they're going to do a pretty good job attacking him. I don't think it'll be quite the bloodbath that it was uh, in the second game of the season, but... Uh, for what it's worth, Kramer also coming off of the best start of his season. That was against the lowly uh, Washington Nationals. He went six and two thirds, uh, gave up four hits, didn't walk anybody, struck out six. Uh, Sale, for what it's worth, uh, you know, was facing the number 28th ranked offense, and they certainly looked like it. They were swinging at everything, very sloppy. So. Th- If anything else, this is a huge test for Chris Sale. If he comes out of this game and goes, let's not even set the bar very high. If he gives you five innings, three earned runs, that is a massive success. Now he is going in the right direction. He is building off that Twins, uh, you know, performance. And he's making adjustments against very uh, potent lineups. So... Uh, We'll see if he can do it. I just, unfortunately, I don't expect him to. So I'm going to give game one to the Orioles. Game two, uh, let's see. That is going to be, as my computer freezes, that's going to be Corey Kluber versus Kyle Bradish. Cody, who do you like in that one?
2: I like whoever Corey Kluber is pitching against. This might be the (laughs) quickest prediction that we've will ever have until something changes, right? I mean, Corey Kluber, this is, uh, you know, a perennial first-team All-MLB or perennial all-star of old, right? If we have gotten the signing in 2015 or, or whatnot, we'd all be over the moon. But he's just not that guy, unfortunately, anymore. And every time he goes out there, he pitches. It's, you know, it's still cold weather in the Northeast, and he just looks like he's uncomfortable and he just doesn't want to be there. And maybe things will change as, as the weather starts to warm up um, you know, and he can get his control back because he's not that overpowering pitcher that he used to be, and and batters are definitely sitting on the off speed, and he's not he doesn't have the control that you need to have to be able to command the strike zone and get outs when you don't have have that heat like you used to. Um, so I'm taking the Orioles here. Uh, I'll continue to take whoever Corey Kluber is pitching against until he proves me wrong.
0: Go ahead, Nick. surprisingly I actually have the Red Sox winning this game don't worry Cody it's not coming from Corey Kluber don't you worry about that it's coming from the likes of a Josh Winkowski or a Cutter Crawford who are going to save some bacon for (laughs) Corey Kluber Uh, he's pitching for his life pretty much as a Red Sox tomorrow this reminds me a lot of John Smoltz when he came from the Red Sox, from the Braves and everything, just stunk up the house when he was here, never fit in, never did anything right, and just was not the same pitcher when the Red Sox had him at the tail end of his career. I just think that Kluber doesn't fit the mold as a Red Sox right now. I, can't, I Again, it's proven – got to prove it, but I – I don't think that this is going to be pretty here tomorrow. I think they pull him after maybe three innings or so, but the bats save everything with just still continuing to click. And I think the offense, it's going to be a high scoring game. I actually had this one as a 10, eight. I will go with the same score I predicted from the YouTube show. I'm giving this a 10, eight victory for the Red Sox.
1: I am probably going to jinx the Orioles here. I have, I have, Predicted two games where for the Red Sox this season where I said uh, they're going to have an automatic loss. The first one was t- uh, Tanner Houck's opening uh, start for the season. He just looked terrible for all of spring training, and I think that was actually against the Orioles, actually. And I I picked I picked the Orioles to win that, but Tanner Houck had the best performance. Uh, of that one and uh, so I was wrong on that automatic loss the other automatic loss I had was today Corbin Burns against Brian Bayo. I was like no way is Corbin Burns going to lose this game and he didn't exactly lose it their bullpen lost it but uh, I I thought the Red Sox would or excuse me the Brewers would probably put up a lot of runs on Bayo but I am going to say that this is an automatic loss in game two for Corey Kluber um I, much like with Chris Sale, I, I think the Orioles are going to know exactly what to do with him. They know exactly what's coming and it's all going to be 88 miles an hour or slower. It's not going to be a matter. They're not going to have to guess the speed of the pitch for the most part. They're just going to have to figure out where the location is going to be. And if they figure that out, they're going to destroy him. Nick brings up a good point. If there's a short leash, maybe you get a cutter Crawford in there to kind of write the ship and perhaps the Red Sox can Hit Kramer around. Uh, no, excuse me. That's Bradish. My bad. Uh, Bradish, for what it's worth, he's only had one start so far. Uh, another one appears to be a bullpen or opener type situation because it was only one and two thirds innings. He didn't give up an earned run in that. So uh, that was in the Texas series. Uh, but um, Bradish is coming off a scoreless outing against the Washington Nationals. So. Um, six, six, uh, innings, six strikeouts, no earned runs. So I don't know. Uh, he, he did kind of show some life in the second half last season, showed a little bit of promise. Perhaps he is going to be a part of their uh, rotation, but I have to take the Orioles, uh, in game two as well. Game 3 it says uh TBD on the Major League site ESPN has it as Tanner Houck. I don't see why it would be anyone else so let's just roll with that. Cody, who do you like? That is uh Tanner Houck versus I think Tyler Wells. Am I getting that correct? Yes. That's what I'm seeing as Tyler well.
2: Yeah. Wells. Uh, this one, to me, is a, a Red Sox W, um, much like it was in the Twin Series when I picked two out of three. And I believe I was the only guy that picked two out of three. I'm going to double back down on, on the Red Sox continuing the winning trend. Um, and for the reason none other than how resilient this team has been, right? You know, they've shown time and again that they'll pick themselves up off the mat. Uh, they won't stay down for long periods of time. Um, and I think they I think they bounce back. How it gives them, you know, five or six quality innings, keeps them in the mix. And, you know, we continue to just keep knocking on the door and, and finally kick it open when we get those opportunities. Right. You know, we were seemingly knocking on the door, the whole twin series, the whole Brewer series. And, you know, it, it finally showed through with that nine run eighth inning today. Um, but we're getting that timely hitting where, you know, it might not be every opportunity, but it, it seems like we're at least cashing in on one or two of those opportunities a game now. Um, and, you know, you have to be so good over 27 outs to, to shut out and keep a major league team down, and I don't think the, the Orioles are good enough to do that um, two games in a row. So I like the Red Sox in game three.
0: Go ahead, Nick. I want to like the Red Sox in game three. I want them to sweep very badly, but I think what's going to happen here is the getaway game, and I think what's going to happen here is Hulk will give you a serviceable start, five innings, three runs, maybe it's four runs or something like that. He'll pitch okay. I don't think he's going to set the world on fire by any means, but I think this game is going to come down to the likes of a Caleb Ort and a Ryan Brazier absolutely blowing their you-know-whats on the baseball field and being one of the more frustrating ones that the Red Sox have. Remember something with Cora that he likes to do. The Red Sox have an off day on Thursday. Is that correct?
1: I believe it is correct.
0: You mark my words that he's probably going to sit Devers on Wednesday because he likes to have double days off for some of these players, especially when the right, when the season and everything begins. I see this lineup probably being less stacked per usual um, with some of the guys, some notable names, could be even Turner, could be Devers, something like that, out of this game as this is kind of be a game that he's probably going to manage as a throwaway game, like I said. So it's going to come down to probably some of the last man standing type of players like my lovely Ramel Tapia is probably going to find a slot in this game and whether he succeeds or not, I mean, we're going to have to see, but that's where I'm at for um, game three. Again, I want to sweep. I would love it. Do they have the ability to do it? Sure. Do at least in my eyes, but I, I just, I, I could see them going to it, two and two, two wins in this series out of the three games. So, That's where we're at.
1: I can't pick a sweep here. I would feel really dirty uh, if I did that, having done it in the last series. And also given the fact they've won three series in a row coming in. So I'm just simply going to give this to the Red Sox. Having said that, I'm not super confident because Tyler Wells, I don't have the entire pitching staff. Data for the Orioles up in front of me, but he certainly has AC type numbers here. Uh, four starts, uh, 23 and one third innings. He's only got a 270 ERA. He's only walked two batters all season and not a very high strikeout guy. Uh, his last outing, uh, that was against Detroit, five strikeouts. Struck out six Yankees though, and uh, they took the L in that one, so that must not have been because of him because he uh, only gave up two earned runs, but still a very tough lineup to pitch against and uh, you it know, ends up being a quality start. So I'm a little nervous. He's also 6'8", by the way. He's an inch taller than Aaron Judge, Tyler Wells. <laughs> That's interesting. But uh, he is off to a good start. Hauck, uh off to a decent start. Not quite as good as Wells, but... Um, Hulk did pitch pretty well um, in the you know in the s- series opener this season, uh, so I'm gonna just kind of hope that he uh, continues you know his decency against this lineup, and I'll just take the uh, Orioles to win two out of three. We'll see. Big series for the Red Sox. They're also their record since the trade deadline. In July of 2021 is 20 and 65 against the AL East, so they've been getting thumped uh, by these teams. And I'll also say, I kind of feel a little dumb for not for completely dismissing the Baltimore Orioles because all these guys except Kramer seem to be pitching well. It seems to be a young pitching staff that's being developed very well. And they certainly have the offense to go with it. And they've got a great closer in Bautista. So that's called balance. And um, eventually the rebuild ends. And a team is all of a sudden good. And and perhaps that's going to be the Orioles this year. So uh, with that, we will wrap. Uh, The next episode is going to be Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. So join us tomorrow for that. I hope everybody has a great start to their week. Take care.